0: Today, look at Romans fifteen five, verses, um, five Romans 15, 5 and 6. These are the, the uh, memory verses. We're going to continue looking at the next sort of pillar, what I call the pillar of, of, of this transition. Romans fifteen five says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that, that's a purpose statement, so that... With one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So we see already kind of a review. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, it's all about God, give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that, everyone say, so that. With one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very important, that, that, that purpose phrase, those, that term, so that is a check. Because verse 5, if we're not careful, we don't understand biblical unity, it can turn inward. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that when you go to the well, it can become a country club. And it can be all about, look at us. And it can can just be, "Ah, we've arrived, and you know, So that, no, 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 no. so that as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father. The whole purpose of unity is not just to enjoy each other's company. That's part of it. Unity has a higher purpose, to glorify God, to glorify God. In our culture, in the United States of America in particular, in the world What would characterize society? Discord. Disunity. Factions. Quarreling. Divisions. Divisiveness. Right? Across the board. Look at all the institutions. Right? From the schools to the government. Across the board. What? There's not a great sense of unity right now. Into that disunity comes the church within a tremendous opportunity for someone to walk through these doors and go, Ah, oh, that's unity. Or, the flip side is, someone to walk through the doors and say, They're no different than the world. There's so much quarreling and divisiveness. That's the church? If we're, if we're going to be salt and light just by... Our unity, we have to understand, what is biblical unity, right? What is biblical unity? And so we're going to look at that today. In your notes there, I put the, the definition, unity, the state of being, undivided, oneness, harmony, harmony. And I thought, okay, what's, what's the real word picture? What's the application? It's like a music chord. So, so Robert's going to play a C chord, right? That's the C chord. All the notes, correct? That's, it's in harmony. Go ahead, Robert. Play it right again. Right? Now he's going to play something that's not so harmonious. Hmm. And now he's going to play something that's really not harmonious. Okay. So, biblical unity, the picture, the understanding for us to get, is the real C chord. Play the real C chord. It's harmony, but that requires, that requires some discipline, that, re- that requires some effort, that requires some diligence, because if we're not careful and we don't understand our role and responsibility in biblical unity, by default, because of this sinful nature, because of the world and the flesh and the devil, by default, it can quickly become disharmonious. The question is, how diligent are you? Not even just at the church, but in your home. Unity. What is biblical unity? What does that that really mean, right? And and again, it takes effort and it takes proactivity to maintain it, right? And we're going to look at that. Turn to Ephesians 4. Thank you, Robert. Ephesians 4. Galatians, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writing to the believers in a city called Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Right? So, he's calling us to unity. To unity, right? Again, oneness, harmony, right? And in your notes there, I kind of thought, okay, so how are we going to understand biblical unity? And you know, there I said, biblical unity, it's very important. There's a few things we have to really understand because some of the world's thoughts and the world's view of unity has kind of crept into the church. So the first thing is biblical you know, unity is not uniformity. It is not uniformity. In 1 Corinthians 12, you don't have to turn it, it says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, right? So unity does not equate to uniformity. You don't have to dress the same. You don't have to look the same. You all don't, you know, there's diversity in this place. The Bible says you are God's workmanship, His poema. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? He has a unique shape, right? He has a plan. So there's diversity. We are unified around the essentials, and we'll talk about that. But even doctrinally, there are some areas where there can be diversity, and it's okay. It's okay in the non-essentials of the faith. And, and Wednesday nights have been a great opportunity to experience that. So y- unity is not uniformity. Very important. Okay. Number two, it says there, biblical unity is not union. What that means is it's not an external contractual arrangement. Around here we call it covenant. Some people call it membership. Right. So when I say union, it means... Some people equate, well, we're in unity because I'm a member. No, unfortunately in the church, sometimes members become a great source of disunity. Because suddenly they're in union, and if their heart's not right, they're in union, but that union becomes a self-serving thing. So unity is not the same as union, right? Depending on the situation, you could put a, a cat and a dog together. Unite them somehow and, you know, put them on the same leash or something. There There's not going to be a lot of unity. That's external. U- U- unity is from the heart inside. We'll see that union is an external based thing. Okay? So uniformity, it's not union, and it's not tolerance. Very important. Now, in some of your versions... Uh, It may be, you'll see, where it says uh, bearing with one another, it says tolerance. Be very careful. That does not mean the world's view of tolerance. Okay? I want to read something to you in this issue of tolerance because it's it's, it's a couple paragraphs, but it it hit it so well and it is seeped into the church that, that a lot of us mistakenly believe that, oh, the church just needs to be tolerant. And what they don't realize is they brought in the world's definition and world's understanding of that. And they're bringing in relative, relativism and pluralism into the church, all under the guise of, of unity and love. And it really you have to be really careful. So I want to I want to share this with you. It says this. This is he's talking. Uh, the author is talking about the difference between the world's view of tolerance and how the view the uh, church should view this. He says tolerance merely accepts the reality that differences. Conflicts, disagreements, and contradictions are here to stay. It thus tells people that there is no right or wrong position, belief, or behavior, but that all people are just different. When tolerance becomes the rule, true unity becomes impossible because truth is cast aside. Tolerance stops pursuing truth opting in exchange for the acceptance of all ideas and practices. The bitter irony of the tolerance and diversity agenda is that it cannot tolerate or embrace as equally valid those who hold to a universal truth, absolute truth, or who believe in an an exclusively right religion. Therein it is self-defeating. Tolerance emphasizes differences, while the Bible emphasizes unity. Tolerance says that it accepts all things and people, but it is unable to truly love others. It merely tolerates them. Christianity, on the other hand, says that though others might be different and even wrong about something, they can still be loved. Tolerance doesn't love others enough to tell them that they're wrong. Unless, of course, they're being intolerant. The bottom line is that if tolerance is practiced in the church then truth will be minimized. Love will be exchanged for acceptance and true biblical unity will be forfeited. That is a powerful powerful piece about us as believers understanding biblical unity biblical unity versus tolerance and the tension that exists. Be very careful when when you use the word unity because unity is just basically a neutral word because you can be unified around false beliefs. Okay, so don't assume that unity is always a good thing. You have to ask yourself, what kind of unity are you talking about? So today we're we're trying to just understand a bit of what, what is biblical unity, right? So it's not uniformity. It's not based on external union to an organization. It's not the world's view of tolerance, right? What is it? Let's look at Ephesians 4. Start, we'll read verse 1 again. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Real important. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So it says in your notes there, biblical unity, what? It's the responsibility of every one of us. Look what it says there. Make every effort. You know what that word is? There's other verses. Endeavor. What that means? Give maximum effort. Exert yourself. Be eager to maintain or guard. It's a precious thing. And here's the the verb in it. It's continually and it's a choice. You and I as believers, as part of the body in Christ, are commanded to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's continual and it's a choice you and I make. Because if we're not diligent Because we still battle with the flesh and the world and the devil, you know what can happen to this place and all the love and unity we experience? If we're not diligent here, it'll turn that fast. It'll turn that fast. We experience this almost every week on the worship team. For us to put a set together, let alone one song, we live this whole idea of proactive engagement with unity. And it's a heart issue. If you didn't know, the, the worship teams on churches, their nickname is called the War Department. And it's not a term of endearment. It, it means there are times, because of the personalities and the nature of music and, and you know the exposure that comes when you play in front of it, things get tense. And we can be, we want to see Jesus lifted high. One second. And someone doesn't get it and someone messes up and it is from singing, we want to see Jesus lifted high to what is the problem? What is the problem? Can, can you just get your act together? It happens almost weekly. And we've learned to understand that, that all the humanness involved and all the personality, all the desires, is just part of L I F E. It's life in the body. But what we have done is we have made the choice. We have made the choice to continually keep the unity. Because once the unity is gone, then it's just every man and woman for himself. We are commanded in Ephesians 4 3 to keep the unity. All of us, that's our responsibility. When, we, when we're here today, you have that responsibility right now to continually choose to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's all of us. That's not a pastoral thing. Well, that's the pastor's job. He's supposed to keep us all in line. No. You're supposed to keep each other in line. We are commanded to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's our responsibility. We are the church. Amen? We are the church. And so when we go, whether it's here or to our new facility, the idea of unity, moving in unity, here's the thing. We don't create unity. Our job as believers is not to create unity. What does it say in Ephesians 4.3? Maintain it. We're to keep it. We're not to create it. We maintain it and keep it. Because... 1 Corinthians 12 says, when you became a believer, you were baptized into one body. So, positionally, spiritually, the unity is already there. You are one body. Practically, we are commanded to maintain that. It's already there. Amen? You see, that's why I've, I've told you before, church being a part of the body of Christ is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. You're in. You're in with, with, with giftings and purpose and meaning here in this body, but now you are in as a proactive participant in maintaining the unity. If you, you, you can't say, ah, oh, uh, no, that's not for me. It is for you if you're a believer because you're in the body of Christ commanded to maintain and keep the unity. Because here's the thing. I know that you, you all are on social media and you talk to people in this valley and, and all over the place, and you, you come in contact with a whole lot more people than I do. People that will never come talk to me. In your conversations, and in your social media, are you approaching that with the desire to maintain the unity of the body of Christ? Right? It's all our responsibility. It's all our responsibility Says there in, in your notes, it's rooted in our identity in Christ and baptism into the body, right? It's rooted in truth. We saw that those quotes about about tolerance versus truth. Last week we talked about taste versus truth, and let me just repeat that because it's really important. Because again, there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. In nine months, that facility has been transformed. Metamorphosis. We know. I know. It's, it's just, you know, it's not even rocket science. There are varying tastes in this room and in this community. God raised up a team of people and collectively they gave thoughts, input, expertise, a whole deal into making that what it is. Sometimes I was asked. Most of the time I wasn't. <laughs> and that's fine. And that's fine. That was just my will. You have a choice to make. Now you talk about goes back to choice regarding unity. You can choose to fixate on what doesn't suit your taste and make that an issue. Or you can celebrate that we're still going to proclaim the truth. That's the choice. That's the unity choice. We recognize. Yeah, probably wouldn't have done it that way. Yeah, it doesn't hurt our feelings. We understand that, right? That's just life. That's just life, you know? Unfortunately, we live in a social media heavy culture where everyone feels the right to just give their opinion. They feel, you know, it's my opinion. It's what I think. 40 characters, bam, right? We talked about this last week. Everyone feels like they want to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to a church sermon, to worship, to, you know, the temperature, to whatever. The donuts over there, you know, whatever. We feel like we're likes and dislikes. That's our culture. And if we're not careful, it bleeds into the church. And suddenly, the church can be unified around opinion instead of truth. So there's truth over taste. And I'm just telling you, I just want to be real with you, because we've heard it all, and I know we're going to hear it again. It is what it is. I celebrate that we're even there. Anything beyond that, whatever, you know. Yeah, sure, I like the color, you know. and It's great. What is that for? Why did we do it like that? Why did God provide? I'm like, Lord, why did you provide so... I mean, it's just incredible. Why? You know why? It's a tool to proclaim truth. Because we believe... Jesus says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by the word. Your word is truth. People are transformed. Lives are sanctified, set apart by truth. That whole building is about the proclamation of truth. That's that's what it is. It's kingdom purposes. So yes, is there going to be a a diversity of tastes? 100% guaranteed. Because I already have my own tastes. Right? Some of you, and I appreciate this, if you haven't been there, they take you on the tour, and then you get to my office. Or my cubby, as some say. And then people are like, you put him in this closet? And this could, because they look at Bill when they say that, right? I'm like... <laughs> people have their own opinion about the, what size my office should be. And it just worked out in the, in the existing layout. It was a renovation. And so where are you going to be? Well, I guess I'm going to fit here. It's fine. It's fine. So I'm just, I'm just... Flipping these cards over. We understand there's varying tastes in this room. But we also understand we choose to focus on truth as really what's paramount. Really what's paramount is, is, is the proclamation of truth. And the truth is really what unites us. The new facility should not be your uniting point. Do not rally around and get excited about and be unified about 1290 grand. Please don't do that. That is a dangerous, slippery slope. Because then the well becomes an idol. An idol. And the second that that facility becomes an idol, we're no longer loving God like we should. And it has become about us, and it has become about man-pleasing, and it has become about status and pride, and I pray if we get there, God shuts it all down. and yet that's the tension. Cuz there's, there's going to be that human tension. Because you drive by there even today you drive by there like woo. And then this week we're going to get the parking lot sealed and restriped. All right, yeah, those in the right Ernie? Ernie's like, "Yeah." Right? It's going to look even more. Right? I mean it will. It just will. Something like this has not been built in, in Ojai for a long time. So there's a newness to the whole valley, the whole community. I get that. I understand that. I see it as an opportunity for truth to go out. Not as an opportunity for us to become divisive about tastes. Not an opportunity for us to elevate ourselves. As soon as we've gone there, we've got a long road back. We really would. Okay. It's, it's rooted in truth, our obedience. Look in Ephesians 4, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here's the picture of that. It scales. He says, you've been called. You're a believer on Jesus. So here's your calling. Follow Jesus. Glorify Jesus. Here's your conduct. The picture is a scale. They should match. When it says, live a life worthy of your calling, Does your conduct match your calling? That's all he's saying there. If you're doing that, if you and I are walking those kind of lives in the Spirit, guess what? Unity pretty much will follow. It's when we are not living a life worthy of our calling that we're really living for the flesh. And what does James say? When you're living for the flesh and your motives are wrong, that's where wars come in. That's when when, it, when when we're not living and walking in the spirit, when we're not living for the glory of God and we're living for ourselves, guarantee you you're that far away. It happens on the worship team almost every week the second and and here's the thing it's real easy when things are going well, nice, no conflict right Anyone ever been on a trip with your family or your spouse and Things are just going well. Things are smooth, eh? And then maybe you get lost and you take a wrong turn. Oh, we got some heads turning back there already. And suddenly, this loving vacation, things are happening. And a second ago you were singing kumbaya and watching videos in the car. And the next moment you can't stand each other. You just want out. What happened? The focus shifted. Because when things go wrong is when the choice needs to be made. When things go wrong is when the death to self gets really challenged. It's real easy to say I die to myself when everything's hunky-dory. Let it go a little bit south. Mmm. printed these song sheets and put the chord over the wrong word. Six years. And we can't put the chords over the right words. Because when the chords aren't over the right words, half the band's playing it one way and half the band's... And there's like, it's not very harmonious because people are switching chords in the... Right? But just a few seconds ago, the pastor of the church was singing, We want to see Jesus lifted high. they are driving me crazy, Lord! You know I'm just joking. This is all illustration. It's when things don't go so well that the choice for unity is presented. Okay? We're going to celebrate over the next few weeks a lot of celebrations and a lot of positives. Why are we spending these weeks on all the preparation for when we get there for when it doesn't go so well? That's going to be the real test of our unity. That, that, that's where we're going to be like, oh, wow, why are we doing this again? Why, why are we doing this again? Right? Are we going to start inward and start finger-pointing? Well, you... This is all your fault. I told you we didn't need that. Right? Are we going to start finger wagging? And I told you that was a dumb idea. Is that what we're going to become? Just because things get a little rough? Just because it didn't go as planned? Are we going to, are we going to, just, or are we going to really, literally, okay, Lord? I choose, I am responsible. According to Ephesians 4, 3, I am responsible to make every effort to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. That's what we need to do. That's our responsibility. Years ago, when I was first getting in ministry, uh, a pastor taught me this and, and, and it stuck with me. He says, you know, in church, everyone carries two buckets. And Depending on what happens in their conversations they have a choice of which bucket to use one is water and one is gas which one do you think would help maintain the unity of the body you hear something someone expresses something are you gonna throw some loving water on that or are you going to let her up? Yeah! I know! I wouldn't that. was silly, huh? Yeah! Woo! We well, hear sirens going to 1290 grand. I don't know, but it blew up, right? Everyone, you got two buckets in your hands. Whether you're here, whether you're in your house, whether you're at work, the choice is yours. And what you say matters, right? Remember James? He talks about the tongue. Tongue starting to fire, right? Psalm 141, it's in your notes. It says, put a, put a guard over my mouth, O Lord. We all carry buckets. And I love this illustration because what you, which one you choose to use directly impacts the unity of the body of Christ. Directly impacts the unity of the body of Christ, and so if we're going to move forward, and if we're going to really celebrate and see God use our new facility, we got to go with the heart that glorifies Him. We got to go in humility, and we have to go understanding and accepting our responsibility to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the body. Right? That's our respons. It's on us. It's on us. Even today, it's on us. And it's very, very challenging in in our world of social media where we're just used to firing off a response without even a second thought. We're used to thumbs up and or thumbs up without even a second thought about the impact of that. I really encourage you to be very, very careful. Be very careful about what you're expressing out there and whether it's helping the unity of the body or not. Or not, right? Turn to John 17 and we'll close with this. And it's about walking in the Spirit. I encourage you to read Galatians 5. For walking in the Spirit will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll be unified around that. But John 17, Jesus is praying for us. Pretty amazing, right? Jesus is praying for us. Look what he says. John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, here's the thing: even our unity is about Jesus. Even our unity is designed to bring the glory to God. Amen. You see that? It's not even us being unifying and saying, hey, look how unified we are, and then turn it into some weird prideful thing. Look, we're the most unified church in the valley. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Right? I mean, that's us. Everything somehow is about us. Why does it, right? That's that nature. Somehow it's about me, 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 me. Look at me. We're unified. Look at me. We're humble. Look at me. Right? Right? We become prideful in our humility. Crazy, huh? Jesus in this passage says, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Our unity is the testimony. When someone walks in to hear today or to the well, you know what my desire is—that they would go, "What is up with this?" See, unity as we walk in the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. The unity of the body of Christ is a spiritual entity. It's a spiritual fruit. It's supernatural. The unity is a supernatural testimony that something only God could do. How many of you, honestly, if, if, but for, you know, the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, somebody in this room would drive you crazy? Okay, don't put your hands up. Just kidding. <laughs> too late. Um, the body of Christ is so diverse. And we are so, we look really good here on Sunday mornings. Everyone looks nice and you're smiling and right families sort of look like they like each other here. You know, and all this kind of stuff. But for the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, this thing would fall apart this quick. Let's, be just, let's, let's just be honest. Some of you, you're already too hot. I talk too long. Music's too loud. But for the grace of God. This place would be empty. Do you understand what I'm saying? Please do not minimize the fact that a diverse group of redeemed, imperfect people can get together, love one another self-sacrificially, day in and day out, serve, give of time, give of money, do a work day, build a facility. Don't minimize and make that a human thing. That in and of itself is a supernatural work of God. It is a supernatural work of God. And so at this church, your church, wherever you go, where you, when people come in, you should want them to see the supernatural work of God through the unity of the body of Christ. And you know what? They might just want to come back and be part of that. Because they turn the TV on and it's depressing. They turn the TV on and they're angry. And they turn the TV on and there's no hope for this country. And everyone, there's just, everyone's into their camps. No one even wants to work together across the aisle anymore, right? And in they walk to your church or this church and they see a diverse group of people and are like, really? How is that? And we just go, God, God. And you know what they might just say? I think I want to come back. I like this. I like this. One of the greatest testimonies I've heard about you in the six years we've been here, from Saturday nights to Sunday mornings, I've had visitors tell me, you are the most loving church. You have blessed people. Our meet and greet is intentionally three minutes plus. We want that. It's the unity of the body of Christ that's the testimony. We let that go. We want that. Because outside these walls... There are people searching for that. They just want to be loved. They want to know, is there a God who loves me? And is there a community of believers that I can fold into? That's what we're about. Amen? Lord, thank You. Thank You for our time. Thank You for reminding us that we are one in Christ. That unity is something we are commanded to keep and maintain as we walk in the Spirit. And as we uh, prepare for communion, I think about this quote by Francis Schaeffer. It says, When everything is going well and we are all standing around in a nice little circle, there is not much to be seen by the world. But when we come to the place where there is a real difference and we exhibit uncompromised principles but at the same time observable love then there is something that the world can see. Something they can use to judge that these really are Christians and that Jesus has indeed been sent by the Father. That's our desire. Our desire is that our unity in you Jesus would be a testimony that you were sent by your Father. So thank you for what you're doing in this local body of believers, this church family. Thank you for what you're doing in our life. And Lord, may we all be diligent to maintain the spirit of unity that we already have as the body of Christ. So Jesus, as we uh, prepare for communion, once again, we're privileged to take communion in remembrance of You, understanding that the unity we've been talking about begins at the cross. We are united in Christ because of our faith in Christ. So thank You, Jesus. Thank You for what You did for us on the cross. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith on Jesus, you can do that. Just rest in his finished work at Calvary. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So even now, you can just rest in the finished work of Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you in the best way I know how I'm resting in your finished work. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. So we'll distribute the, uh, the elements in just a bit and Just have a time of prayer and reflection on who Jesus is, what He did for us, and then ask the Lord to speak to your heart about unity and your part and your responsibility in maintaining the spirit of unity and the bondage.